and welcome to the Brain Food Podcast for General Counsel from Pinsent Masons. My name's Matthew McGee and I'm a journalist at Pinsent Masons and today we are talking about a fundamental change in the way that companies see themselves and what this means in times of crisis. We'll be discussing purpose, an expression of what an organisation is for. For 50 years or more, the world's biggest companies had been about one thing and one thing only, earning profits to give to shareholders. Generating shareholder value has been the single defining goal at the heart of corporations, guiding every decision from where to locate a factory to who to pick as chief executive. But something is changing. Companies are beginning to reject shareholder supremacy and define for themselves what lies at the heart of their organisation. They're adopting a purpose. Purpose is meant to encapsulate what a company's for, to answer the question, why does it exist? When done well, this means undertaking a fundamental process of self-examination, consultation and rigorous thought about the nature of the organisation. So we wanted to know what this means for GCs, heads of legal and the legal functions of companies engaged in this process. So I talked to purpose consultant Lisa McCallum of Inspired Companies to find out more about what being purpose-led means and to Richard Foley, the senior partner at Pinsent Masons. He's not only led Pinsent Masons' own purpose process, but has spent a lot of time talking to chief executives, chief financial officers and chairmen about their purpose processes. Now, we are living through probably the biggest crisis to hit the economy and businesses that any of us has ever seen. So does having a purpose help to cope with situations like coronavirus and lockdown? And is a purpose surviving contact with a crisis of this magnitude? We'll come back to what the current situation is revealing about purpose-led businesses a little later. But first I asked Lisa to help us with the big question. What is purpose? Having a purpose uh, is all about expressing why you exist as an organisation. That is fundamentally different from the commitments you make around your values, how you promise to behave, which is also different to how you might describe yourselves in your actual identity and brand DNA. Because the market is um, demanding that companies stand for bigger ideas, companies are in a position now that even just to, to actually compete better, they have to clarify for the market what it is they are pursuing. A good purpose statement today will be a purpose with many winners. It will be an idea to pursue with many winners, not just one winner. That's the, that's the ultimate filter. And I'm interested in in where it crosses over into ESGs, environmental, social and governance uh, factors, which is another big pressure point in how companies take decisions and how they think about what the outcomes of those decisions are. And you do see some companies talking about purpose very much in terms of ESG factors, as if if they, you know, if they tick some of those boxes, that equals a purpose. Um, but you, if I understand it right, you don't think that will achieve the same result. ESG is fundamentally not a purpose. Where we started was that... A purpose statement gives you clarity as to why as an organisation you exist. It does not actually um, mean that ESG, environmental, social and governance factors, are your purpose. Those things are more so commitments. So we will not destroy the planet. 
We will not um, serve humanity in a way that's negative and takes away and extracts from the human race. And we will have um, governance systems that are above board and high integrity. Those things are commitments for how your business will operate. It's not the reason your business exists. So necessary, but not sufficient. So we have a pretty expert view on what a purpose is, and you don't have to look very far to find lots of companies talking about it. But can we know how many of the world's biggest companies are actually putting this into practice? Richard Foley has direct experience of the extent of the corporate world's interest. I would say we're at the bottom of an exponential curve. Um, it is it is certainly the case that three years ago this was on hardly anybody's radar. Um, you know, you might have had a handful of corporates, you know, maybe not a handful, but you know what I mean, you know, a really, a really small, 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 small number. Um, it is now, um, I would say, something that over half of the corporates that we interact with are, are engaged with. Um, but I would say it's probably only 5% of that 50% that are that are pretty well advanced. Um, and, and again, you know, I, I look at our own, you know, our own uh, experience there of, you know, the, it, it, it took us a while to identify what we felt the purpose was of our business. Um, and then you have to raise awareness of that within your organization. But to then transition from being a business with a purpose to a purpose-led business is really tough and it takes a long time. So, you know, the fact that there's a relatively small number of businesses that could probably hold their hand up and say, I think we are genuinely purpose-led, it's not a bad thing. It's just a consequence of, of um, time. So, I mean, I would say that I have met more CEOs and CFOs in the last 12, 18 months than I met in the previous six, seven years put, put, put together um, around, well, around any, any topic and most of the conversations I'm having with CS, CFOs and CEOs at the moment is is around purpose, or, or perhaps the wider, you know, uh, in, inclusion or, or RB RB world. Um, what I'm hearing consistently is is in, is exactly the same as resonated in in our our business is that if you if you cannot explain to the world why you exist as an organisation, the default setting is you only exist to enrich yourself. And that's a pretty unedifying position as far as your customers are concerned, as far as your suppliers are concerned, and actually particularly as far as your employees are concerned. Uh, and so, you know, what's, what's important here, and, and CEOs are see, seeing this, is that there is, there is real competitive advantage to be found in working out why as an organisation you exist and being able to articulate that in a way that's authentic to your customers, to your suppliers, and to your employees. I think the new regulations that have recently gone through, at least for public companies in the UK, have required companies to be clear about what their purpose is and that that purpose needs to be uh, beyond um, shareholder interests and profit maximisation. So that's probably, um, at least for listed companies, <laughs> uh, new information in the UK that's out there. And pr I think uh, the outcome of that, however... Um, really has been that there's, well, there's the first step of coming up with a purpose statement uh, has been celebrated and more companies, you know, have bigger bigger statements than they had before. Uh, I think the disappointment there is a lot of um, 
action hasn't been necessarily as um, widespread as has been hoped, I think, from that regulation. And do I think that's because business leaders don't want to do it? No, I actually think because there hasn't been uh, a roadmap for how companies actually deliver on these much bigger, wider, broader purpose statements. We have operated in the corporate sector for 80 or more years and we've become very good at wiring our companies to deliver to mission statements like we want to be the number one in our industry, one winner goals. Now, these new purpose statements, fundamentally by definition, if you think about Nike's mission statement, it's to inspire and innovate, or to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And if you have a body, you're an athlete. And that's a many winners goal. Google is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. It wasn't to become the number one um, search engine in the world. Right? So these are, by definition, many winner statements. And we've, we are not practiced yet in the corporate sector as to how to wire an organisation to deliver against that with finite resources. Coronavirus and the associated lockdowns are causing issues for every organisation and at a scale most of us would have found hard to imagine before the crisis. So are companies with a purpose better off? Does it better equip them to rise to meet these challenges? I think when you've got a clear sense of purpose identified within within your business, it causes you to ensure that all the short-term decisions you have to make in the context of, of CV19, you make, you make through a long-term lens. Your purpose helps guide you as to ultimately the things that you have to do because they're the core things that you that you, you believe in. And and that, that that won't change. And that'll be that'll be there way after the pandemic fades away. So all of the short-term decisions you have to make now in the context of CV19 have to fit within that long-term purposeful structure, I guess. Companies with a purpose will see that they behave differently to those without one. So are we seeing this in the decision-making around COVID-19? Uh, yeah, I think, I think purpose-led businesses will behave differently in the sense that, you know, part of the challenge we face with CV19 is there are, there are so many decisions to make you know, it's easy to get sort of lost in the in, in in the maelstrom, really. And you know, a lot of a lot of purpose-led businesses talk about purpose, giving them a north star. So that kind of some really simple guiding principles, um, and you know, having having those principles guide you through that all the, that kind of morass of decision making, I think, really really helps. You know, I know these are these are cliches, but but it's been remarkable how how true they have been this whole thing about you know crisis reveals character rather than rather than forming it or reveals culture rather than, than forming it well if you if you think about purpose in that that context it is it is absolutely true it's it's very easy when everything's going well to talk about what you might think of as sort of more wider aspirations um but can you hold true to all of that when when the heat is really, really on? Yeah, that's 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 the acid test. It's been a long time since this much attention and scrutiny has been focused on the behaviour and decision making of companies. The stakes couldn't be higher. The world is watching how companies are conducting themselves through this crisis. Your your suppliers are watching, uh, your customers are watching, and your employees, perhaps in, in in particular, are watching. And so I think, you know, when you look at some of the wider agendas that business has been working on for a while, 
whether it's uh, inclusion and, and diversity, whether it's the way you innovate around the uh, delivery of legal services, whether it's around around on purpose. You know, if, if we're honest with ourselves, these things have not been driving significant buying decisions. And I mean buying, if you're an employee, you know, who do you go and work for? Indeed, a, a customer, who do, who, do you, who, do, who do you employ? And I think we will see more and more of that. And I think that would be a really good, good thing. I mean, you know, you, you actually want to be judged uh, by, by this stuff. I mean, this is this is the stuff that matters. And you don't want to be judged just as a matter of sentiment. People saying, oh, that was nice. You know, I thought Pinson Masons, but, you know, really, really, really good. You want you want more than that. You want people saying, actually, and that's exactly the sort of business that I would want to work with, whether that's, you know, working with as a customer or working with as a supplier or indeed working with as a, as, as, as a, as a colleague. So where did GCs and heads of legal fit into all of this? We'll hear from Lisa later about how the chief purpose officer in a company absolutely has to be the chief executive. So where does that leave senior lawyers? You can read in our companion piece at the Pinsent Mason's website, just search for The Purposeful GC, about how the GC can be thought of as the conscience of the company, helping to frame and make the really big decisions. So does purpose provide an opportunity for them to step into even more of a leadership position? How should they approach purpose? So I guess the the kind of starting point really is is you know legal functions not trying to set them aside, set themselves aside from the rest of the business. Um, I guess one of the things about purpose is that um, if if it doesn't run its way through the entirety of an organisation, then the organisation is not purpose-led. So if you look at the legal function and you look at what they do in seeking to enable the business to deliver their, their strategies, um, if, the, if the legal function thinks, well, purpose isn't really for us or that's really only something that happens in the, in, in the business, then you kind of immediately fail that, that authenticity test. So if it is going to have an effect, what has that looked like or what is that likely to look like? What are some of the kinds of changes that legal functions will see as a result of this? So I think I think what legal functions will will see here is that is the need to to think much broader than what is the legal or regulatory answer to this particular topic or um or um issue, and start thinking much more about what is the right or appropriate thing for my organisation to do. So I guess the the kind of the mo- the most obvious of effect will will be. Um, Look, as a matter of contract or law or regulation, the answer is X. However, and then it's the it's the bit you add on after the however that I think is important. You know, however, notwithstanding that, the right thing to do, having regard to what our organisation stands for, is X. And that might bring them into conflict with other executives at the organisation. Is you know, our our GC is going to find themselves coming up against people who resist them taking that role, who see them in a more traditional role, and what, what can they do to overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think they will, um, because the, the reality is in, in any organisation, there'll be different amounts of Kool-Aid that have been drunk by different, different folk on, on the board or exco or whatever, whatever it is. And, and, and if, you know, general counsel and, and legal functions find, find this now, you know, they give... They give unpalatable advice based on law or regulation, which might not be to the financial benefit or the strategic benefit of a business, but that's their job. They have to do that. I guess what I would say is that 
exactly the same applies um, when the legal function is saying, look, you know, given what we say we stand for, given why we say we exist as an organization, I have to tell you, you, you shouldn't do it that way. And in some respects, that's even more difficult for them because it's bad enough saying, no, you can't do that because you're not allowed to as a matter of law or reg regulation. It's much trickier when you say you can't do that because you shouldn't, because it's wrong. So given your experience talking to chief executives and to boards, uh, how, how many organisations, what well, are organisations ready to hear that message from GCs? Are GCs seen in, in that light just now? Or do they need to change the internal perception? I would say that in increasingly uh, general counsel are thought of as, as, as facilitators and implementers of corporate strategies. I think they're yeah, most most of the more enlightened organisations, and I would say in, in, in an increasing number of organisations, they've they've moved out of the out of the pure legal box a while ago. Um, whether they whether the legal functions are seen pretty regularly more in that kind of corporate conscience way, I, th I think the answer the answer, to be honest, it will will lie in in where the CEO and all the CFOs sit in purpose more generally. If they're, if they're absolutely wedded to it, then yeah, they're gonna to want to hear from their general counsel or anyone else about what is the right thing to do, not just what is the kind of correct thing to do. If they're kind of purpose washing and they've heard about this and they know they've got to do it and yeah, they want something on, on, on their website, then yeah, there'll, there'll be a long way to go there. Is there an opportunity for a greater leadership role for GCs here because they are concerned with regulations and laws and thinking about how companies should behave? They've been thinking about these questions for a long time. Um, so are, are there opportunities here for them to be uh, leaders within their organisations to a greater extent than before through purpose programmes? General counsel have the... I think you know almost a, a unique position of of being able to say to the corporate the things they can and can't do, or certainly giving that advice in the kind of strongest possible term. Uh, you know, particularly around compliance and regulation, that's it's pretty black and white. Um, around you know legal nuance, well, you know it, it, may, it may be nuanced. I mean, I think when you you know that. that that that's an obvious person, therefore, that you would turn to almost with that, give me the smell test here. I mean, what you're saying to me is that legally we could do X, but you're, but you're telling me that, that, that we shouldn't because of the, the wider reputational risk or so, so on and so forth. So, so the fact that the general counsel in particular are in that, that, you know, we talk a lot about the, the kind of trusted advisor role, but, you know, they're in that proper trusted advisor role. You'd think it wouldn't be a very big step for that, for that trust and the advice being, being sought to move into that, into that purpose space beyond the pure legal, regulatory or compliance space. Lawyers have this problem-solving skill set that is so sharp and so brilliant. So put it to work. Put it to work on solving to deliver against a really big idea with many winners. Put it to work on solving for what it means for the strategy of an organisation. So 
there is a role for skeptics, 100%. Play that role, lawyers are very good at it. <laughs> but don't be a naysayer. You have to enable this because at the end of the day, if you're not clear on, if your organisation's not clear on why it exists, then uh, you know, you're not going to be in a position to gain the support of society to get behind you. And that's how you can create competitive advantage today. So, you know, the GCs in the room, please, Bring your scepticism in, but don't be a naysayer. Because if you if you are a naysayer and put push too much against this, then uh, you will fundamentally put your organisations to disadvantage. I would say, uh, look at the direction that the market is heading. Look at how the court of public opinion is really determining the brand status um, and growth of organisations, the success and failure of them, and figure out how uh, what lawyers are so good at. Um, can take into account that power dynamic and advise the companies that you work for uh, to, you know, to go with it, not work against it. Lawyers are lovely people, of course they are, but they 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 do like structure and they do like to know where the line is between black and white and and understanding that you have to start thinking about why an organisation does what it does, not just what it does and how it does, is something that that people who tend to gravitate towards law kind of struggle with a bit because we like we like our process and we like our evidence and we like to know what, what, what's what's going going on. So I guess the pit pitfall is don't don't look at this too literally all of the time you know the number of conversations we've had is well okay Richard you you, you say this but you know you, you talk about progress but some progress can be can, can, can be negative yeah all right well you know and some changes can be bad well yeah all right I know that but we're not talking about them are we you know but I don't have to say we stand for good change you know it's, it's implicit so think about the essence of this rather than what the actual words say you know and, and that's probably the that's that's probably quite challenging for for a lot of people in the legal fraternity because all our training is about what the words say, um, and, and a lot of this is about is about looking behind that, I suppose. The concept of purpose is a positive and empowering one, and that can be uplifting. But we shouldn't lose sight of just how radical it is to overturn the corporate orthodoxy of shareholder value that's ruled the roost for decades. So I asked Lisa and first Richard how this is going down with senior executives and chairmen who are, after all, accountable to those shareholders. I think there are I think there are there are there are two types of answer to that. I think there has certainly been a shift in in investors and and shareholders over the last I don't know year or, or two where. They're just not going to accept that the only thing that matters is the rate of return. So, you know, there there has definitely been a been been a shift, and you you know you you see so much evidence of that around. You know, you've got to pick up the FT or, you know, go onto the news or whatever it is. So there's there is definitely a change in the way investors and shareholders, or some investors and some shareholders are are thinking, whereby they're saying, look, I know the return is highest over there but I've looked at the way that company generates its return and I'm not prepared to invest there so certainly that, that, that that's a change but I think the much bigger point is um, that shareholders and investors are increasingly coming to the view that those corporates that do business in the right way 
are going to be the most successful corporates longer term and therefore the returns will go up. So I've kind of I've never got this purpose versus profit debate. I mean the whole point about becoming a purpose-led business is it will make you a better business, you'll attract better employees, you'll attract better customers, you'll attract better better suppliers and you will therefore outperform your own peers. And there's some interesting Harvard case studies on 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 the performance levels of purpose-led businesses as opposed to businesses that are not purpose-led. So you've got that longer-term thing of, yeah, I could get a great rate of return from this business in the short term because I've seen the way they treat their suppliers and so on and so forth, but I don't believe those corporates will survive, and therefore I'll switch my investment into those businesses that I think will be long-term sustainable, and therefore you get better shareholder return. I just saw a report in the last couple of days that came out from Deloitte that said that 80% of mainstream investors now are requiring this, are asking for it. And so I think uh, absolutely what we've seen is that the the investment community understands that organisations that, I think if we go back to um, you know the environmental, social and governance commitments, organisations that don't get to that basic level of commitment <laughs> as, a, as a requirement to becoming purpose-led, uh, they are going to be the more risky investments. Right? So they look to those measures to help decide who they're going to invest in. That's becoming quite normal now. Uh, Larry Fink said, you know, chief executive of the biggest investment uh, engine in the world has um, stated very clearly that the companies that they're going to be investing in and recommending uh, need to have a purpose. And so he's sort of put companies on notice in that way. So investment funds are definitely moving in the direction of this. I think everyone is still looking for guidance on how to pick the winners, if you like. How do you, how do you actually pick the authentic companies? Something Lisa and Richard returned to again and again as we talked was the scale of the project to become purpose-led. About the gulf between organisations that go through the motions and have a purpose and those who undertake wholesale cultural change and become truly purpose-led. So how big a job is this? And what are the consequences of being half-hearted? It's the most important thing in the company. If you have said that there's a reason to exist and you've articulated it, you've successfully articulated the reason for your company to exist, you're going to have to pursue that for the, in perpetuity. So what I can say on the upside is that um, all organisations that I've worked with that have actually gone about it in an authentic way and truly want to understand A, what it is, and then put mechanisms in place to ensure that the momentum um, to become purpose-led actually delivers and that they've invested, um, importantly, in that transition. This is one of those things that that is a new muscle. Organisations need to learn what it means to have a purpose and how that shapes strategy, how that actually has an effect on redefining success for an organisation, how it, how it redefines how people are measured and rewarded, and all sorts of things evolve after you have clarity around your purpose. Uh, but this is a in-perpetuity effort. You, you just get better and better and better at it until it becomes sort of the way of working. So it's not a project with an end date? Absolutely not. Uh, in fact, you know, another mistake that's being made today is if you communicate, to, if you communicate um, purpose to the CFO then the CFO, based on all the statistics you give them on the business case, might fund an initiative. <laughs> and then that initiative will compete with all the other strategic initiatives that are going on. And that's a, you know, another mistake that's being made today. Purpose is something that the entire organisation uh, needs to own and lead in unison. Yes, 
there may be a number of guardians that really focus on the transition to ensure that um, it's actually occurring within the organisation. But the chief purpose officer, make no mistake, is the chief executive officer. That's step number one. But then everyone needs to own, uh, own that purpose in order for the organisation to authentically deliver against it. The common thread that businesses have done it really well is they haven't driven it. They've led it from the top, but they haven't driven it from, from the top. If your CEO and your board tells the business why it exists, that's a struggle. If you go into the business and ask the business to explain to you why they think they exist as individuals in the business, why they think the business exists, um, you know, why, why did they join? Why did they stay? You know, what, what did their best day look like? When were they most proud? When were they mo most happy? The, the businesses that seem to have done best here are the ones that, that reached into their business and asked the business to identify the things that, that end up as the essence of, of the purpose. So I use this phrase about relentless enthusiasm, and, and I know it irritates an awful lot, lot of people, but, you know, you, your, your leadership has to be relentlessly enthusiastic, and that is difficult over a long period of time, but in my view is critical. Secondly... Um, the alignment of your strategy to your purpose for me is an absolute fundamental to the long-term sustainability because if ever there comes a time when people believe that purpose sits in some kind of parallel universe and operates alongside the core business you're dead um, so a purposeful strategy and whenever you're talking about strategy referencing the language of your purpose, you know, the consistency of wording, and talking about how you, your strategy is, 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 is the what, with your purpose being, being the why, so making that a link. And then the third thing really is you, you do have to give people, you do have to give people positive endorsement of where this is working well. So, you know, and, and the most powerful thing for any organisation is when you can point to customers that have chosen to use you over your competitors because they believe the sort of stuff that you believe in. My impression talking to the GC community is they are significantly more confident about engaging in discussions around purpose and, and the right ways of going about business than they were only a couple of years ago. And I'm not at all suggesting that, that people are going about business the wrong way, but there is there is there's so much noise and information out there about how how corporates and how CEOs and how uh, chairs of, of boards are embracing and getting to understand the benefits of purpose-led. And, and I think that's given uh, GCs a lot more confident to step forward and kind of step in and say, look, you know, when we're thinking about even if it's as mundane as our terms and conditions, we shouldn't just be thinking about wholesale risk allocation to whoever can bear it the least. We should be thinking about what are we trying to achieve here? You know, what would benefit our customers most? What would benefit our suppliers most? You know, what would be the right thing, thing to do? And, and so I'd, you know, certainly the conversations that I have with General Counsel is that they are, they are increasingly confident of wanting to express views about how the legal function can help 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 deliver the purposeful strategies um, and help protect corporates from some of the risks that are out there that are not 
purely legal or, you know, I know we did that, but the law allowed us to do that. Well, it's not good enough anymore. Well, thanks for listening to Brain Food for General Council from Pinsent Masons. We'll be here every month to give you food for thought and hopefully help you navigate daily life and find time to think about some of the bigger issues out there. It was produced and presented by Matthew McGee for Pinsent Masons, the international professional services firm with law at its core.